0: And welcome. Hey, it's to Tzitzit, and my co-host, Hello, Ryder. Yeah. Ellie Ryder, how you doing? It's pretty chill. Um, how about you? You You can always tell who is the most oppressed by who needs to be anon, and who's in the position of power by who gets to use their real name. So it's
1: <laughs> so it's, it's not very often that I'm the person with the longer hair in the conversation. <laughs> Although. Although when I enter Converse, when I uh, on my Zoom screen, I always sign in with L E R because of the various like pro- problematic Zoom meetings I'm in. That I don't want to be in,
0: like noon. Mm, totally. There's a lot of um. There's a lot of positives to being anonymous for sure, like on the internet, and it's um. Yeah, it's 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 become more necessary, I think, in some ways since like the last like couple months, but. I think it's always good. It's like interesting. Like I think there's definitely something to like having, you know, your face profile one and then this this other one. Like it just there's a lot of dynamics you can play with there. And it's just fun, I guess. But um but I think also there's a lot of like safety concerns as well. I <laughs> mean,
1: now I know who you are on the um Washington DC riot clubhouse yeah. meeting. That, that's right. crumpty I, That's you're that yeah. guy
0: yeah if you if you ever go into like the you know super proud boys boogaloo, boogaloo crew like zoom meetings and you see crumpty T, it's like you'll know it's me because like, I'm the only guy that could ever have that name I mean no one would ever come up with that but yeah
1: again like there was this specific guy from when ended up living in Muncie, in Williamsburg he mm-hmm. became this um, pop icon in the 90s at this bar called the Left Bank when he became this glam rocker Whose moniker, whose stage name was Curly Oxide, and it be, it became like it be, that. His story was like a whole one-hour This American Life show, and like his life, his life rights were optioned. And the screenplay was written by Tina Fey and Sacha Baron Cohen. Oh wow! But according to according to all my inner sources, it's it's, a, it's in development, and there are too many issues with various mm. players that it'll never see the light of day. But that's like the one sad thing about like, so whenever whenever I see it, I think curly oxide.
0: There you go. I mean, like, it's always fun to me to think about like how many uh, movies and projects there are that have that exact same situation where where it's like, oh, like this person's writing the script. It's all done. Like they put in all this work and they have all this stuff going. And then like, there's some, it could be for a lot of reasons. Like it could just be technical. It could also be political. It could just be geographic, like all these issues that make it not see the light of day. And it's like, it's just like, you don't even know how many movies there are that don't ever get made and are just sitting on the cutting room floor like that. But then it, but then it makes me wonder like, how is it that there's so many remakes if that happens all the time? You know what I mean? It's like-
1: Well, there's a passage in the Bible that says, there's no new voice under the sun. <laughs> Right. So yeah. same thing in Hollywood. Like I mean, that's why we're that's why there are like 18 diehards, and like how many Home Alone's are there? Like I don't know how many Home Alone's are there. Like yeah. uh, you would think that the parents was like stop freaking losing their child at a certain point.
0: <laughs> yeah, you think that the Star Wars would just end eventually, but um... mean, like
1: you know it's desperate when like yeah, I mean never mind. look, look George Lucas has to buy another plane.
0: Yeah, you don't want to get me started on Star Wars, dude. Like, I'll just destroy this whole conversation. It'll be awful. Like, no one will want to <sighs> listen to that. I'll go crazy. Like, <laughs> just lose my uh, mind. When do you?
1: Well, so so especially if you're 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 a Yin. You like Star Wars. It really works.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also have a place in my heart for the prequels, but I'm not going to say that they're like good movies. But I just like there's a part of me that like uh, like likes them in this way of like you know they're just thing that I grew up with. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that they're like good. But seriously, like you don't want to get me down this road. Like my marriage almost ended because of how much I hated the Last Jedi. Like I can't, I can't go down this road anymore. I'm off of Star Wars. Like I'm, I'm sober, clean, and happy. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to go there.
1: So uh, as far as you know, WandaVision is about um. Wait, is that Star Wars? No, it's Marvel.
0: It's Marvel, but I, I don't know anything about it. I just, I don't know. I think we talked about this when when we were hanging out, like in real life, the other day. Where like I just have. It's such a shame, but like I haven't been able to engage with fiction in any way for the last like at least two years maybe even three
1: welcome to dark side i haven't read fiction seriously in 10-15 years kind of sad i've read it i've enjoyed it like but i can't tell you how many like the last like short story collection i read and like left happy i mean i don't know
0: it's weird though, right? Like, I, I feel like maybe the reason why it's like, because I was a I was an English major. Like I was a writing person. Like I liked writing and reading and I liked fiction. Like it was what I liked to do. I used to write stories. Like that's what I used to like to do. And then like, I just, I don't know, in some point in my thirties, I guess, I just was like, I don't care anymore. And I don't, I don't know if it's because life became more interesting than fiction could ever compare to. Um, or maybe i just was like because i was i sometimes think it's maybe this like because i was trained in a writing program like i see the inner workings of stories so much and so well that like there's like an old an, uh, one of my old old friends good friends like his father used to say that to me where he was like he's like you know when like jay leno and david letterman and like jerry seinfeld like get together and talk about jokes they're never laughing. You know what I mean? Like they, they say, oh yeah, that's a good joke. Oh, that one, right? that That's done really well. That's a good joke. That's not a good joke because they know jokes so well that they could break them down. But like, they're no longer like engaging with the medium in the way of that we would as plebs because we hear jokes and we're like, ha ha ha. But to them, they're like, they're seeing the technical aspect of it and just sort of like tossing off like, yeah, that's a good joke. Yeah, that's not a good joke. That could, that joke could be better. And like, I felt like to a smaller extent, obviously that started happening to me where like, I, I like anytime I engage with fiction, I'm always like, there's so much they're not telling me here. This is such a constructed whatever. And then obviously like good fiction is the one that you don't feel that way, obviously. Like you don't notice that you're reading a book. You don't notice that you're watching a movie because you're so invested and so immersed, but it's just very hard to make that kind of fiction. And it becomes like, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. I, also I like don't know if I have the situate- emotional space anymore, but yeah.
1: I like how you situated yourself. As like a Sherry the fiction,
0: hundred percent, yeah. As, as,
1: as, as, like, it's very humble of you. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean,
1: I the, the truth is like I am the same way about jokes, and it, I am the same. I am the same way about narrative and language, and it's part, in part that's why I, I um when I greet my students' papers, I'm like I have to turn the the writer side off me when I'm grading my Jewish history students papers because it's like right. i have to remember they're not writing for writing class they're writing academic papers and they're terrible right. writers and i have to forgive them for
0: that <laughs> yeah absolutely um and yeah and like i guess like i said on that topic to segue in like that that like it makes you wonder especially now like because when you see videos of things that happen, when you see like reports of stuff that have happened, there's always this part of me that's like, how much of this is not in the camera lens? How much of this is not like what's actually being, what's actually happening, What, how much is the narrative? And like, especially nowadays, I feel like I'm, um, I'm like so cynical about like everything that I see. You know what I mean? I mean,
1: like, it's, like, The problem is like these days, both everything and nothing is on the camera. Meaning like right. we have the sense that everything is being recorded and we have a sense that we can always speak truth to power through the 3.2 megapixel lens in our iPhones. And in truth, that truth to power is extremely complicated because we edit things down, TikTok is still only 59 seconds, and right. videos get edited. And like, how? I mean, look, we, we, know, we know political movements have been built and proliferated based on grainy video footage. And it seems incredibly empowering because it seems like we are usurping existing power structures such as police with um, videos. But the problem is that they oftentimes don't tell the full tale and, and they still look so impressive play in middle because they, they see a story already developing. And when the story is already in development, the viewer is not getting the full story. Mm-hmm. And there's an inherent weakness in that.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's... um. I mean, you see that with also like, the you know, like the Covington kids or whatever, or like, I, I remember the, the Covington kids like this, you know, back back before, like when the, those kids who the kids with the MAGA hat and the Native American guy was hitting the drums in front of them. And then like, you like you see that little clip and you think that they're that the kids are being the jerks and then you see more of it and you're like, oh, it actually turns out like. This Native American was being kind of a dick, and then you like zoom out even more, and it's like there's this whole group of Black Hebrew Israelites that nobody even knew were there, like you know, like that are also in the video. If you go far enough back, and it's like whoa, that's dude. Like, like
1: the Rashomon of the, of the of the meme generation. It's the man because each person uh, has their own has their own perspective, and if you zoom feels, out a little bit more, you see a different perspective.
0: Yeah, it feels also kind of like the Babushka doll, where it's like you know those Russian dolls, where of it's, like, it's like
1: so gonna, many layers. And like, yeah, I mean. That that's sort of the grainy Twitter Twitter video version of like an M Night
0: Shyamalan film. <laughs> or like Memento. <laughs> Memento,
1: exactly. Yeah, or like
0: indeed. it's it's so funny. So then so then we see this video of the the Hasidim on the plane that happened like last week or something like that. And like I don't know, like for, for me, like I, I I saw the video and I just I have such a hard time watching those kinds of videos. Like I And it's not even just because they're Hasidim, even though that has, like, a special place that's close to me, but, like, it's also, like, it's also, like, even, like, I saw a video today, which was, like, some woman was getting beaten up in, like, a Whole Foods or something for not wearing a mask, it looked like, and I was, like, dude, I can't even watch this. Like, I saw it, like, it was on my feed, and I was, like, I can't even look at this. Like, I just, like, ignore it. Like, I can't, like, watch that stuff. Like, it's weird. All, it's, like, it's
1: Whole Foods. So, so people that don't live on the reality that Hasidians live in. I remember that on the Upper West Side, there was a Whole Foods and across the street, there were two banks. So yeah. The, because the only way you can afford Whole Foods is taking the mortgage out.
0: Right. That's it. That's good.
1: So let's stop and take a step back and explain what's happening with this video.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I, like, I was able to watch, like, some of it um, just without the sound on. But, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I saw... I don't know. It turns out that, what, like, the apparently the one of the babies, one of the one of the kids in the video wasn't uh, wearing a mask, right, and they were getting kicked exactly. out. Exactly. That's the story that I heard. Um, and then, I don't know, it just seemed so nasty.
1: So from a March 1st, so we're recording this on the 8th of March, and the New York Times had a story on March 1st. The first paragraph read, a Frontier Airlines flight from Miami to LaGuardia Airport in New York was canceled on Sunday night after a large group of passengers including several adults refused to wear masks, the airline said, so I mean, end quote, like to insult the injury. Because these people were already going through something shitty because they were flying on a frontier airlines. flight. (laughs) This group of 22 Hasidim were kicked off a plane and the ADL, which like only sometimes comes to the defense of Orthodox Jews who are attacked. For real. Yeah. raised issues of anti-Semitism and discrimination. So the, the, the facts, the, the, here are the facts, and there are a bunch of videos in, about, this, about this kerfuffle, which shows that 21, 21 adults were wearing masks. The only person who was not wearing a mask was a 16 or 15 month old baby. Now the FAA says babies under two years old don't need to wear masks because they're in their strollers and they're unable to wear masks and they're probably not passing any diseases
0: and also like they're i mean i don't know if like if you try to put a mask on a 2 year old or if you try to put like shoes on a 2 year old like they don't really they don't really care like they take it off all the time you know what i mean so it's like like there's no they wouldn't leave it on you know
1: yeah and we're not going to play the um, the video but i'll just read from the description in the new york times article videos of the passengers exiting the plane amid chaos captured by other people on the flight were posted on Twitter. in one video a passenger says this is an anti-semitic attack. Another video showed the couple holding a maskless baby in the car seat as children could be heard crying and the woman explained that the young children in their group sitting on the back of the plane had taken their masks off to eat. end quote "If you can think about like traveling with children, it's a horrible experience enough. and you have your own bags and your kids' bags, you have a, a trillion and a half things happening and you know that everyone on the plane is judging you for, for doing the egregious act of traveling with a child. I mean, have you ever, tra- have you ever traveled with a child before?
0: Are you kidding me, man? Of course. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, I went uh, with my baby like my, when she was like less than two years, that was before her birthday recently. So she was, yeah, flew back from Florida. Thank God. Like she fell asleep, at, like not super far after into the flight, but like, yeah, like it was pretty rough. And actually, now that I think about it, I think that that was during, I think that that was during COVID. I'm pretty sure that was during COVID. I think that was like this past Rosh Hashanah. I'm pretty sure. There
1: is no before time anymore. We are only after COVID.
0: Right, exactly. Like, I think that was actually during COVID and I was wearing a mask for that. I think it was, man, I can't even remember. I think that it was. And um, yeah, it's just like, maybe it was like right before. But um, yeah, man. Like, I mean, like you know, she's crazy. Like, it's she's a two year old. Like, <laughs> she's going nuts, or she's a one and a half year old at the time. Um, she's totally I mean, we, mind.
1: before we get to the fact that these are khashida, let's talk about like what exactly happened. Which is that like these twenty two people were sort of lumped together as a group, and they were a group, but because one baby was not wearing a mask, according to like what they were allowed, and because people took off their masks to eat, which like is allowed, and yeah, I mean, we. People who've been on planes know that like every big airline hands out food and no one can eat through masks yet. <laughs> they were discriminated against because like you have a like, smelly chassidim coming on the plane. So I mean quote unquote.
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's just like it, it like pains me to even hear. Yeah, go ahead. I know what you mean.
1: So you, you have this group of people who are seen as like holding diseases. And you have people on the frontier who see this group of people who look different and sound different and they treat them like they're inhuman yeah so but yeah, you're
0: about it there, no and just like on the topic of like oh these smelly chasidim or like they're dirty chasidim and stuff like it's it's just so funny to me because like i know this is going to show some of my bias but like it's just so funny to me because like if you think about what chasidim are they're constantly washing their hands to the point of like neuroticism regardless of like whether or not it's COVID, like it's just part of the religion to like wash your hands before you pray, wash your hands before you touch your shoes, wash your hands. If you scratch your hair, wash your hands. If you, um if you, if you're going to eat like literally constantly washing hands, mikvah, like every single day, you know, like, and sometimes more than once Um, like, it's just like, it's so funny to think that like the Hasidim are the ones who are the dirty ones when it's like literally like, the entire reason why jews were thought to have like you know caused the black death was because they didn't die at the rates of everybody else and the reason why that is is because they were constantly washing their hands because of their of the religion it's not you know what i mean like so it's just so funny that like this translates over and like yeah fine i get it like i guess like you know because Hasidim tend to wear like more layers of clothing then there's the assumption that they're probably like sweating and stuff and in a lot of cases like I guess on a day-to-day basis, it's probably true. But like, but like, I don't know, it's just funny because like, there's Hasidim are ridiculously clean. Like they're super, super clean. Like everything about Judaism is neurotic about germ theory before like germ theory even got to be known. So,
1: I mean, the ritual impurity was the sort of proto-germ theory
0: in a way. Right, exactly.
1: And like, we, we can sort of get into that as a conversation point, but I think that like, First of all, the idea that of of like these disease carrying Jews, is sort of the the play, like, a kind of a play up the bubonic plague, which is sort of what you're referring to, that like we we are the smelly disease carrying Jews and we're sort of implanting this disease into the into the common folk. I mean, we're not Jeffrey Bezos, we're not Bill Gates, implanting things in vaccines, but we're sort of creating this like, look, we're turning the freaking frogs gay.
0: The freaking frogs. So we're turning just...
1: a speaking frogs gay. <laughs> but like in truth though, I mean you have people who wear dark, these long coats and have these curly things down their ears. Mm. And like sure they might have BO because the, the their long coats do absorb sweat. But, and perhaps what, what people are smelling is not body odor, it's chlorine from all the right. ritual bathing. <laughs>
0: like, yeah yeah but it's but still regardless like if it it was like the fact that you're telling these this entire family or group of people to leave the plane because the child isn't wearing a mask correctly because they're under the age that you have to do that it's like clearly like you know and whatever like you don't you don't hear like an enormous uproar from the regime because they're just not politically useful so it's like so it's like, you just don't hear it. Like it doesn't make the rounds is like this massive, massive thing, but it, it, but it's important to us and we're talking about it. And obviously it did make the rounds here and there, but like, it didn't, I don't know. It didn't have the kind of like breakout that, that um, I feel like it would if it was another situation. Um, but like, I, I don't know. It just really pains me to see just on a regular like human level where it's like, do you honestly expect like a two-year-old to keep their mask on? And like, you're just destroying this entire flight because of this. And, and I guess like, I, I also blame de Blasio in a lot of ways because all of this started from him like marking off the Hasidim as like the dirty disease ridden like community of New York. When like this, again, like the same thing happened in the black, <laughs> the black death sort of thing. Like not the same thing, but kind of in the reverse. But like, like we had testing in the Hasidish areas before, when, when nobody could find a test in all of America. Like I was tested positive with COVID like the first week of March last, like a year ago, the first week of March last year. Like I, I was one of the first people in the country to have like a positive COVID test because I live in a Hasidic area where we found tests. So because we had tests like for the people here, the story in the news was outbreak in the Hasidish area and it's like dude nobody in America could find tests anyone everyone's running with their like a chicken with their head cut off like trying to find tests we have to test we have to test like like Cuomo de Blasio Trump it, this goes across party lines like nobody took the virus seriously when I tested positive for COVID. Like when I tested positive for COVID, like around the end of February, last Purim, pretty much. Like nobody was nobody was shutting down New York. Nobody was shutting down like anything at the time. Like it was right around that spot where, like a few days later, it became like serious news. But before that, like it wasn't. And who has COVID tests in February? Dude, a CISA. Like I like over here in a CISA. Like I had it. I had a COVID test like the last week of February, and There's I no tested way, positive
1: because, because Purim was mar- middle of March last year. Are you sure? No, it I wasn't.
0: No, 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 no. We'll look it up right now.
1: This is a question.
0: Oh, okay, I mean, fine. You're right. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Mo- Monday, March 9th, March. Okay, fine. So I have to put all of my stuff back. Okay, fine. So I I definitely got it on Purim of 2020. And then did. I tested really? positive for sure. Yeah. And then I tested positive and pretty much everybody that I was with also. It wasn't like I caused it, but I, I'm... Just, Sounds like I a fun know. Purim. It was awesome. It was great. But like I... um. I got it on March 9th or 10th, and then I tested positive the, the following week. So, yeah, like, I mean, when when did the lockdown start in New York? Like,
1: Probably March 15th or 17th. Right.
0: Okay. So, thank you. I so know like, the,
1: y- it's funny, the yeshivas and Crown Heights closed a week, in that week before the public school did. So, the firm communities that, like, these Orthodox communities that people shat on were
0: mm-hmm. actually ahead
1: of the curve, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we so we were ahead of the curve. So here, here, March 20th, uh, New York Daily News, Cuomo places New York on unprecedented lockdown. That's March 20th. So I tested positive like five days or so before that. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to get to is like, so the Hasidim got punished because they were the only people that were able to find tests that were able to get tests for their, for the people around them. They got tests. So they tested positive and then outbreak in the Hasidic community. It's like, dude, everybody had COVID. Like this is New York City. You were still. You've been running the trains the entire time. Everybody had COVID. It's just that the Hasidim tested positive, so now they're punished because they were responsible. It's like.
1: I mean, okay Let's be. I mean, I. I think you're being a little incomplete. I think what you're saying is two different truths. Yes, they they had tests earlier than other New Yorkers, therefore they tested positive. At the same time, the per capita per population, they did have more cases for reasons like you alluded to for quorum and other things. So I think that like. I think what you're saying is not completely true. I, I think they, they, both of those things are true, but I, but I think you're making a different. I think you're missing a different, very clear argument that like there are lessons to learn from these groups that come together and when they face crisis. So, for instance, like if, if different groups coalesce to respond to a crisis in, in a way in a way that's cohesive it creates resilience and it creates it creates resilience and it creates sort of a more clear way of like responding to crisis both biological socioeconomic etc you see that a little bit a month or two later with the resurgence of mutual aid groups which a mutual aid group is when strangers come together and say look there are old people in the neighborhood let's go shopping for them or the people who lost jobs let's give donate people let's donate groceries and another way of saying a mutual aid group is the gama which is a Hebrew, a Hebrew, Hebrew rather, it's, it's an acronym in a sense for giving me less yeah. chesed, like a granting good deeds. It's a way of community getting together and helping those in need, whether it's giving suits to people who can't afford them for holiday and Shabbat things, whether it's um, whether it's like um, Tom Chay Shabbos, this organization right. that's been going for about 50 years feeds that feeds, it sends um, food packages for like like people who don't can't afford to shabbat food, stuff like that. So like I think that's a lesson to learn from the Chesedic community.
0: Yeah, that's that's like my biggest like this this is the thing that I that I find so sad um when I engage with like the extreme right or the extreme left. Like they both want the same thing and what they want is like community. Like they both want like like the extreme left will call it mutual aid. The extreme right will call it like you know um like church going or like, or some form of like, uh, I mean, really they'll, they'll get into like some form of uh, you know, race um, uh, cohesion where like they'll help each other out. And the sad thing is, is that like, both of these sides on the far political left and the far political right, like they both hate Jews. But the sad thing is that like, if they looked at the Hasidim, they would actually see all of the things that they want are in practice in the Hasidic community. You have Tom Shabbos, you have Gemachs, you have like people um, taking care of the elderly, like Biker Cholim, like going to the hospitals to visit people who like are sick and don't have anyone to visit them. Just that is enough to like save somebody's life on occasion, like um, giving people hot meals. When my, my wife, Hatsala for goodness sake, oh my God, where it's like, imagine, like, imagine if like the black community in any place had Hatsala their own ambulance that took care of them. I mean, it seems like that's what they want. I've, I've heard people say that where they're like, I mean, we do have
1: to recognize, though, let's, let's calm it down for a second. But I think it's important to recognize that we are lucky in that we do have a, a concentration of power and willpower and tradition of like coming together in the face of adversity. I dis- and-
0: I disagree with this. And I'll tell you why the 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 reason the reason why I disagree with this is I don't blame I'm not saying that we're special in any way other than, um, unfortunately and this is not the fault of any of these groups or whatever unfortunately the greater American populace um, they have shirked the responsibility of community and like moved it over to the responsibility of government and that is what ultimately has ruined them because because the It used to be, and in some parts of America, it still is like, um, there are like, there are still these like mutual aid societies. They just happen to be like a a church of the town or something like that, where they help each other out in the community and they know each other's names in America today. Like most people don't even know their neighbor's name. Like they don't know their neighbors. Like that sucks. That's, that doesn't have to be the case, but, but with as they, re- as they expect that the government will take care of more and more of these things. Why isn't there a government program to take care of this? Why isn't there a government program to take care of that? As you expect the government to do more and more and more and more, you're just taking less responsibility on yourself. Whereas like if you really wanted to create community that would help each other, help each other out, if you really wanted to create the sort of like mutual aid commu- um, action that you want to see, you can't rely on the government to do that. And I think that some people are actually waking up to that. But but it's just sad to see like this sort of anti-Semitism that is just it's not just damaging to Jews it's damaging to everybody who could learn a lesson from Jews which which for whatever reason happened to be one of the only groups that still have the mutual aid societies that the left wants so badly and the community and the and the community cohesion that the right wants so badly.
1: So a couple of quick things. First of all, they, these things do exist in small town America still. Yes. The famous interview between. Former President Barack Obama and famous American writer Marilyn Robinson, where he says that the sort of a vitriol you hear on the White House in DC in politics, that you don't see small town America. And there's I think there are small towns across America, and obviously this is like campaign rhetoric, but there's a lot of truth to it, that says we're not Republicans here, we're not Democrats here, we are neighbors. And if my neighbor's house is being burnt or there's something suspicious happening i will make sure my neighbor's house is okay and even though i might hate that my neighbor i don't know has dogs that crap in my lawn so you just see that i think in cities you don't see that so there's a for instance there's a famous um book came out by sociologist eric kleinberg after the 1995 chicago heat wave where 71 people died i believe and he blamed it on a lack of social cohesion. He's found that people who, that this is Chicago, there were people who were stuck in their apartments with no relatives or friends to check on them. So they died in their apartments during the heat wave. And he found that, like, that's the, that, that was the root cause of the massive death in this heat wave. So I think what, what, you're, what we are describing is like a communal response, a communal, a communal cohesive response by a community that has a long history of resilience in the times of facing adversity. And that's what we're seeing here.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, again, it's just really sad to see so much of those lessons get lost, because there's this stream of like, oh, the Jews are dirty, or the Jews are like, or the Jews are getting together in synagogue, and they're ruining things, and the Jews are this and that. It's like, all of this, like, and it becomes like anti-Semitic, because like, I know that you mentioned this before when we were off Mike but like there is a difference between anti-semitism of Hasidim specifically but and then Jews generally and I, I feel like did you like that does exist for sure but a lot a lot of the lessons that you could learn about like you know mutual aid and all these things can come from the religious side but they still exist in the in the secular for
1: sure. I think a lot of the non- Hasidic American jewry and like this goes from reform conservative to even like modern orthodoxy sort of rode the wave of privilege in the 50s and 60s and sort of fled to the suburbs and sort of rode the wave of white flight. And part of, the, the, part of the, down, the dark side of the suburb living is that people sort of lived in their own bubbles and they have a huge lawns, huge picket fences. And because of that, there's sort of a lack of, co- of cohesion and sort of like a capitalism in their residential neighborhoods. Whereas you have, like, Hasidim who live in close quarters in more urban areas, with some exceptions, whether it's Muncie or New Square, which, is, which are small hamlets outside the dense urban areas.
0: But even, but even those places, if I may, like, even those places tend to, like, group as kind close together as they possibly can. <laughs> No, it's true. And
1: look, I mean, there are functional reasons. In part, because people want to be close to their grand rabbis, and people want to be within walking distance of shuls, of synagogues, and s- schools of study on the weekends when they can't drive. Mm-hmm. Also, partially, it's a, a lack of money. I mean, many people, like a, a lot of these rich Jews who fled to the suburbs, could afford to buy homes. Whereas mm-hmm. Hasidim would not. we like we're not. Were unable to. we're unable to buy homes, or unable to like pool their money together to like by a yeshiva. I mean, for instance, after the Second World War, most Orthodox Jews lived in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Only in the 50s and 60s, the movements, different movements sort of branched out. So you see people living in the Williamsburg a little afterwards, because they can afford to buy a building. Or like, You see people in Bar Park who fled, who fled Crown Heights to move to Bar Park. So like, again, it, t- it takes it takes years to, to, accru- to accrue wealth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also at Lower East Side, a lot of Jews live there. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, the the thing that I would just want to show people, though, is like, you know, it only took like, what, 70 or like 100 years for the Jews to just be to, to move in and be like a very tiny minority that was not treated very well like they didn't have jobs and stuff i mean the stories you hear from like older people who lived here who like couldn't keep a job because of because they wouldn't work on saturday and all that stuff like i mean that was like a real that was a real reality but like within a hundred years or less like they pretty much run all of brooklyn and whatever i mean that's an enormous lesson and you know who else was able to do that the italians like when the italians came uh to new york they ran New York after like forty years or something. They ran everything. I mean, look at who's been like, look at who's been the mayor and the and the and the uh, and the governor for the last like fifty years or whatever. It's always some Italian. You know what I mean? Like they they ran it. It's it's amazing to see. It's a good thing. I've I'm, I'm trying to say that that's a good thing. That's a thing to like aspire to. Um, so I don't know. I just have so like little. I just have such like. It makes me so upset. Like whenever I see these so many people that get upset with Jews and all this, but they would really be learning everything that they want, everything that they want to accomplish, everything that they wish that they could have, they could have. They just need to like remember how to do that.
1: I wouldn't go that far. Again, I think that we came to the U.S. post-Holocaust under very special circumstances, objectively crappy, tragic, with great laws. But that came with special privileges, and I'm not using the word privilege in the way we use it today. But I think that Jews got a lot of leeway that other minority groups coming to American shores didn't necessarily get. It's,
0: Italians didn't have an easy time of it. They were they were treated horribly when they came to America because they were Indeed. Catholics. And then eventually they just stuck together. They ran, and then they you know whatever they ended up running it. Like I, I you see that I happen think with a you're lot over. Your
1: I I think you are oversimplifying complicated history. Yes, yeah, I, so I know.
0: Well, I don't have all day. I just am like, you know, I, I but I'm saying, like or, or all different.
1: the facts. Also,
0: also like, you know, like Black Wall Street and stuff like that. Like, there were parts of America that were like, when there was more cohesion, when there was more connection, like they, they were able to thrive a lot. And then, unfortunately, because of like government policies, a lot of the time, like it, it broke that up and it was, it made it really hard and systemically impossible to an extent to like, to actually accomplish those things anymore, even though they used to exist.
1: Yeah, but let's go back first. Then I think that mm-hmm. when talking about Hasidim, you made a comment before about how the videos of the frontier flight didn't get a lot of traction online, and I think that I think people have to care about these things if they see you as a protected class or a group that needs protection, mm-hmm. and they don't see they. I think there are a few complicated aspects to this. The first aspect is that, like, I think it's socially acceptable among most groups to like ha- offer casual racism against like Hasidic landlords. Yeah. And like say nasty things or make passing remarks that are either micro or macro aggressions. Mm-hmm. And that's completely socially acceptable. And I see that all the time in New York city where like I'm someone who is very obviously Jewish and in my former life, but not my current life but in my former life as, sort of dressing more religious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would occupy non-necessarily religious spaces. And people would say the most obnoxious things to me because I was in their space. And because I was in their space, whether it's a bar or a bookstore, people wouldn't necessarily, people would sort of treat me like am an outsider. Look, I had someone who was a VP at a large publishing firm ask me if I know what a meme was. And this is, 20, yeah. 20, this is 2019. I'm like, I Even mean, the fucking New York Times like kiss my ass like how can you in how can you in polite company tell me that we we were at a reading in the Housing Works bookstore which sells books that are donated for people who are HIV positive and she just treated me like a total idiot um, it's funny because a lot of the tropes that Hasidim sort of inherited were things that were said about like jews before that so now i think people know a lot, people don't necessarily want to say things about jews in a light company but yeah. i think Hasidim see them are still sort of like they still make it in a way like
0: yeah they do they're, they're not seen as human do.
1: so people are able to say the most obnoxious things
0: yeah but that's a really awful thing like it's it's terrible that that's the case but uh, here's the here's where it gets a little bit dicey for me though because like i a lot of the reason why that is um is because Hasidim do like inculcate themselves and they like and they don't want to assimilate in any way and they want to be like separate out anyway um so it it kind of creates that sort of environment
1: that's a very weak defense because you can say that about many minority groups in
0: america it's not not a defense and i don't think you could um first of all I don't think you could. I don't think I don't think that you could say that like other minority groups are like as averse to like to assimilating as Hasidim are in a lot well, of ways. Like
1: when I walk around like Chinatown, you? I feel oh, like that's true. Yeah. I'm back in Williamsburg. And I think that the yeah. things that people have told me about traveling amongst Jewish neighborhoods, those people would never say the same thing about walking around Chinatown. Like, I think oh, could. those people are so rude. Oh, those people aren't like trying are to get news me? to me.
0: I hear, I hear people say that all the time. Like people make maybe your of... friends, but no, I'm talking about people on, who, are, hey. who are part of the
1: progressive elite. <laughs> I'm talking about people who are oh, people fine, who are part yeah. of the, my progressive yeah. friends, who would never be caught dead right. saying right. the same thing about another group. I mean, it's funny because I have a very interesting litmus test, and it's a very it's a very reductive, and I know it's a bit problematic. But I'm curious to know what you think about this. Yeah, like the thing that you're saying about Hasidim or any minority group, would you feel comfortable saying that about people of color? And we, if like you're not Without you, would, would the speaker feel comfortable saying that thing about people of color?
0: Oh, absolutely not. No.
1: Exactly. So if you're unable to, to say that thing about one minority group, don't say about another minority group.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, that's for sure true. I, I I, think it's, um, yeah, I think it is interesting. Like I, I wonder how much of that has to do with the, with like the progressive elite that like they just have their nose turned up to anyone who's religious in any way. Like they have no problem talking about that to Hasidim, but they also have no problem talking about that, about like any sort of Christian in any way. Like, you know what I mean? It's
1: so again, I think that like one of the last remaining groups in America that are not protected are rednecks.
0: <laughs> yeah. White people, white people, you can say whatever. No, and do whatever no, no. no.
1: I'm saying red, I'm saying white trash. I
0: no, no, no. I'm talking, I, I think it's white people generally and then it's just degrees and then there's just degrees of how much you can get away with so if they're religious like redneck you could pretty much treat them like absolute garbage and say whatever you want about them if they're like a white person who's like progressive like you could still say most things about them that you wouldn't say about anybody else but you but you'd obviously give them a little more credit like that's just how it is in the in the hierarchy of the regime let's
1: avoid terms like
0: regime
1: because these are terms that not everyone is privy to nor do I care about, to be frank.
0: Okay, but that, but is, but that is how I see it. I would it, say...
1: Though. Okay, I would say the, the that... The progressive that,
0: regime. But yeah. But...
1: I would say that someone who... Okay, I'm, I'm going to speak from the from the personal, my personal experience. I mean, yeah. someone who really travels in both worlds. Yeah. And, like, sure, I have friends and family members and my, my fellow community members who, say, from the onset of the pandemic, have congregated without wearing masks. But also, I, in my neighborhood in Wrigleyville in Chicago, where I lived up the block from Wrigley Field, the bars were full of unmasked individuals. And, like, I'd walk around in Town, the, the neighborhood there, and it would be completely, like, pre-COVID days. And mm-hmm. no one was up in arms, and the bars were packed. And yet, like, if you would read the news, you would, seem, you would seem to believe the only population in the whole of America, all 300 million of us, who were not wearing masks, were them in Brooklyn. <laughs> Meanwhile, McCarran Park in Williamsburg was packed, and there are all these things that are packed. So, I think that there's something to be said about that.
0: 100%. I mean, I blame, I blame all of this on de Blasio, like because he, he was making it it's so. It's not de Blasio,
1: like, because I think, again, it's a, it's a, cult, it's a, American, it's a cultural thing. And the, the people who got kicked off know. the Frontier's airline, Frontier Airlines flight were not from de Blasio. I think de Blasio was fanning a flame. I think de Blasio was doing something silly his tweets this summer, we talked about Jews il- avoiding, um, Jews avoiding masking or regulation. If that was, tweet, tweet was exactly what he I know you I know what you're talking about. Well, the, 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 the gist of the tweet was that all Jews don't wear masks. And the funny thing was like, yeah. the Jewish progressive world was very upset by anti-Semitism, but it's funny because <laughs> so, they, they were never around the last 10, 15 years when the Rehoshidim being punched in the faces with bricks. There's was a knockout game from, 2000, from 2008, 2009, was the beginning of a knockout game. Before that, still, there were Hasidim being attacked in the streets. And play, populations like the ADL and the general Jewish nonprofit space sort of re- remain silent. And suddenly they come out of the woodwork either because the Blasio tweeted, that, tweeted Jews or because like they, they realized that Hasidim being killed is a problem after the Jersey City shooting or the Poway shooting in the Chabad house, or yeah. a Tree of Life, like, then people started realizing there are, like, ethnic Orthodox attacks, but until then they were yeah. silent.
0: Well, and the thing that's kind of, the thing that's, like, interestingly unique is that, like, especially when you see, like, the knockout game, which is mostly done by young blacks, and then you see the um, Tree of Life synagogue that happens, like, w- which is a white guy, you know, it's, it almost seems like it's, like, it doesn't really matter, like, it's coming from all sides, you know what I mean? It doesn't, like, everyone has a stake in this sort of like anti-jewish thing but look i
1: i, I think of, i think black jewish violence is a very different conversation
0: i'm just and saying it's I, really I don't know really I, I, i'm not really i am not i am not trying to make any distinctions now i'm just trying to point out that like like you don't usually like you know when what was the church oh my god it was like emmanuel
1: ame church
0: no no yeah the one when like the Oh God! Dylan
1: got,
0: Roof shot. Dylan, yeah, 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 yeah. That's you, um,
1: Emmanuel not, A.M.E. Yeah, Church. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. People, so like Reverend McKinney. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think there was also another one, and like and like those sort of actions, they kind of go in one direction. You know what I mean? It's like it's like white people doing it to like the black churches, but then when you see like the Tree of Life and the Knockout Game and like all those, it's like it it's kind of coming from all over. You know what I mean? It's coming from both sides. That's all I'm trying to say. It's, not, it's it's coming from blacks. It's coming from whites. It's coming from you know upper upper government whatever. It's also coming from like people without any institutional power. It, it's just interesting.
1: Yeah, but I just be very careful. I think that there are different roots of violence, and it's important to really distinguish each group. Yeah, violence. we
0: can. Yeah, we can get into like the different reasons why things happen. We could also get into like the different reasons why. Dylan Roof did what he did and somebody else did what they did. Like we can get into that, but I'm not interested in that. I'm just saying like, it's just interesting to me how like you have, you just have it coming from all sides. That's all I'm trying to say. It just anti-semitism seems to be something that is not, it's very bipartisan is what I'm trying to say.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that like, I think bringing in rhetoric between left and right is a distraction. Ultimately hurts the fidelity of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think really, I mean, you can't look like, you can't divorce anti-orthodox attacks from anti-semitism but I think that they deserve their own studies because there's a long history of that I think also the Jewish community has to reckon with reckon with its own blame on this I think that for for more assimilated Jews they there's sort of a there's either a romanticization of those communities or a vilification of those communities and I think that there's too much separation
0: wait 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 I, I'm not I feel like you're making a super Jewish take right now. Like where, and I don't don't know, I want to make sure that I understand it. Cause to me, it sounds like you're saying we have to understand why these things happen to us. That's like the peak, it's like peak. I wasn't saying that, I wasn't wasn't saying that. It's like peak progressive Jew to say that, by the way.
1: No, I wasn't
0: saying that. Okay, what what were you saying, sorry. I
1: was saying that I think the broader Jewish community has spent a lot of effort distancing themselves from those Somali Hasidim, like internally. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like weird stuff happening there. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, after every ex-Orthodox memoir comes out or TV shows like Unorthodox are released, there's a lot of internal reckoning within the, within the broader Jewish community about those people. Mm-hmm. And broadly speaking, the, I mean, and this is, forget, forget the media in general. The broader Jewish community has two feelings towards more traditional Jewish groups. There's romanticization where they say, oh, those people are great. They're doing Judaism like our forefathers in Europe did. And therefore, let's sort of treat them with kid gloves. And then there's the feeling that those people are holding us back. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of writing about, like, Orthodox racism coming from various Jewish writers who, Mm -hmm. like, they themselves are, are raised in the suburbs, and have fled white, fled black urban ghettos, so to speak. And mm-hmm. like now, they're pontificating about like Orthodox Jewish beliefs towards their like their neighbors. And like the truth is, how can you say that your parents fled this yourself? Like you, you grew up in Westchester and in Scarsdale with full of wealthy family members, and these people were stuck under Like in a way, the Hasidim that you're vilifying are in many ways more way more similar to people of color who are their neighbors than to you. Yeah, and I think that when Jews themselves criticize their, themselves, people from their group, they give license to other people to criticize it. And that, that's why I, when I think about the various micro-riches I've experienced in progressive non-Jewish spaces, I think those non-Jews get their cues from Jews
0: yeah absolutely i mean what you're talking about is like a it's it's a classic um situation it's actually not that unusual though it's like a lot of these a lot of the secular jews who have the most harsh things to um to to say about uh orthodox jews are the ones that just have like very little engagement with those sort of hasidim so it's kind of a classic thing of like you know they they sort of, they look at it with the sort of, they don't understand what what the Hasidim have or what they do or who they are. And they just think they're all like idiots who don't speak English. And it's like, no, like they're, they like are able, they're very business savvy. They're extremely intelligent. They're like, they, they're very resourceful. Um, in fact, like, you know, a lot of the, the thing that I love the most is about the Hasidim is like in the Hasidish community, like it's very, very weird to have the man, to have the woman working and the man like learning and not making money. Like you see that more in like the Flatbush kind of Litvish, Yeshivish type of Jews. You don't see that in like the Kasidish community. The Hasidic community is very much like, no man's got to work and learn and the woman should be like, you know, a mother. And like, obviously there are a lot of women that work in the Kasidish community too because we live in America, but like, but like in the Litvish world, you just have in, in the Litvish like Ashkenazi, you know, more classic Yeshivish Kind of world like it's totally normal for the woman to work and be a mom and all this stuff while the guy like learns in Kolel for like four years like that is just not something that happens in the world it's just like nobody would think that in in the secular kind of jewish realm. yeah in
1: a way like it's prefer- look like, in a way it's preferably like, feminist i mean that's thing right. also i think that like people translate sociology into like current notions of feminism and progressivism and I think that the ortho, various aspects of the orthodox community are fairly progressive so I mean this is a weird example but like yeah. when you think about Chabad, community, Chabad emissaries people think oh it's always a man doing, getting all the attention the woman is like doing all the domestic work and in fact many of the women are running the show yeah. like maybe the man has a lectern but the woman is like, like she's a powerhouse behind the community and it might not fit yeah. exactly in the cookie cutter perspective of like
0: yeah, and, and and but a lot of it comes down. A lot of it comes down to just them not knowing. It's just an. It's like a prejudice out of ignorance, which is not. That's very normal. Like it's completely normal. But it's not
1: excusable. I'm. I'm sorry. No. 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 It's not. It's not. Honestly, ignorance is no longer is no longer. A, yeah, at the best. but you know,
0: but you know what? I, I would really blame. Maybe I mean, this is for sure my bias. <laughs> this is for sure my bias, but I would really blame like the secular Jews for 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 that because it would because it's like. You guys don't have any meaningful connection to Judaism in any way, and you make no effort to have it. You go, you, you look at Judaism as a thing that has to fit to your. Like prescriptions of what a religion should look like, instead of engaging with the Hasidic world or the religious world in a way that's on their terms, it's something that really I find it super disrespectful. It's like it's like I think that secular Jews who are like in the academia would feel extremely annoyed with Hasidim like coming into their academic world where they've created a space for themselves and expecting it to work for them. Like I find that annoying. Like when I go to like when I go to like the like to, when I was in university or whatever, like I, I didn't expect anyone to make any favors for me. But like, so why do you think that you can't like engage with the Hasidic world and the religious world on their own religious Hasidic terms? It's just like, seems yeah, so... Yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's awkward because you're raising a different point. And I'll say one quick thing about that. Yeah. There's been an abdication of responsibility on behalf of educators in the non-Orthodox Jewish space in america where jewish education has two prongs there's israel and then there's the canola israel and there's social justice and then it sort of goes across many aspects of judaism even, the, even with even in some modern orthodox jewish communities and what you have is that like people are raised that judaism has these two prongs only and like how many like jews in america our age now. All the fasts how many know this Gedalia, the fast on right. the third day of the jewish calendar and like the story behind it and they don't and i'm not faulting them for not being educated but i'm faulting the educators for being for having an application and then you see these jews who know everyone knew a lot more and they might feel jealous so they might feel like clearly my education was right and their edu- their education is wrong and clearly like i'm doing great why can't they just be like me
0: Well, as, as somebody like I taught in conservative um, uh, temple for a while back when I was like, yeah. So I taught at Sinai temple for a while and I taught and like, I taught um, uh, the older kids as well, like Sunday, the Sunday school program and stuff. And like, I made a point of like teaching them and stuff, but a hundred percent, I agree with you, but a lot of that stuff is also institutional. Like the, the way that the, the way that like the, the rabbinate, the, the rabbis of, of that area treat, like. Halakha and stuff is with this disdainful, like postmodern lens, which is like, what right do you have? Like, you know, you should just, you can, you can put that maybe like on the flip side, you know what I mean? But you have to give your, these kids, like, if you want them, this is the other thing. Like, I don't blame I don't have any problem with like secular Jews who have no formal Jewish education in any way. What, what else, do, what are they said? What's not their fault. Like they didn't go to any sort of Jewish exposure in any way. They went to public school their whole life. They never went to, they went to synagogue maybe once, like once for five years, once a year on Yom Kippur until their parents got divorced or like got bored of it and stopped going. Like, I don't blame them or fault them in any way, but I blame like the secular conservative conservadox, or the worst reformed Jews who, act as if like their version of judaism which is pretty much just tikkun olam through the lens of social justice like that is like true judaism when like again like you said like they don't have they don't have any idea like what som gedalia is i wonder if some of them even know like what tish above is like I, like i it's like it it's like just a, it's not even like yeah fine they know shabbos and they know like yom kippur and passover and and maybe like sukkah uh, but like but like like that's on them and that's on their institution that they go to, that they pay for. It's on them to like do a little bit more legwork to just be aware of it. And to be honest, like as Jews collectively, because we're, we are collective, like there has to be, and there should be, and it should be more vigorous, like a, a way of pulling these things together. Like, I mean, we're really, really good at that. Like we'll just have a Shabbaton with like a ton of Jews from different places and bring them together. Like, I don't see why we couldn't do that. You know i've what always I mean? had
1: this weird dream of like training lakewood coal guys to be able to speak secular english and have them travel around and just like teach basic judaism the abcs to the jewish community
0: so but my like, rabbi my rabbi used to his his father did that for a while like in in england where he would go to like um he would go to like do those sort of like like stuff and like that. but it, it takes it takes you know somebody to do that and i commend him for that you know like but it takes somebody to do that and it kind of needs to come both ways at certain point.
1: I mean, England is different. because England, they they sort of consider orthodox as a definition to be much more bigger uh-huh. tent. So being uh-huh. to be orthodox in England and places like South Africa means that, like, your bris is done by an orthodox rabbi, your birth is done by an orthodox rabbi, your marriage, and then ultimately your funeral is done by an orthodox rabbi. You're uh-huh. not necessarily a Shabbat observant, but you're still considered orthodox. But my, uh-huh. my point that I was going somewhere before about the, the thing, I was, I was saying before that, like, people are raised with these two pillars of Judaism, social justice and Israel. And then people come of age, they read the newspapers and they say, Israel might, be, not, be, might, might not be acting in a way that they thought was appropriate. So then like your whole Judaism is sort of called into question. So your, your question is, do you sort of cut off Israel from your Jewish picture or do you cut off social, social justice from your bigger picture? Right. And then therefore it sort of make, makes total sense that you create something called, if it's not now, because mm something has to give. Either mm-hmm. Judaism is one big lie or Judaism has truth and it's social justice and therefore you have you have to hurt birthright in order to sort of take a stand. And that's sort of, it's sort of, that's sort of your Judaism. And that's yeah. why you, you have places like, if not now, sort of doing protests against college Hillel's, but the Hillel is closed because it's Rosh Hashanah and <laughs> no knew about that, which actually happens.
0: That's hilarious. I didn't even know that happened. Hilarious. again
1: I, i'm i i, I'm I mean in favor it's sad of it's, tragic, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's tragic it's tragic but it's not because of the protests protest. are just an abdication of, edu- of educators at both summer sunday schools day schools jewish camps it's complete abdication and right. i'm not blaming any individual because they, they were they are born into a system that mm-hmm. doesn't know who doesn't know these things and like look these schools high, pay big dollars to fly out at like emissaries from israel to, to teach Hebrew. But well, they don't know like to boshvat, or they don't know what mm. the basic things. But yeah. I want to get back to the to the frontier flight because there's something else happened okay. the week before the flight that I think was extremely illuminating. It was, there was a Canadian medical drama called There's a Canadian medical drama called Nurses that had a Hasidic character, and I'm going to I'm going to play the audio twelve seconds and. <laughs> I want to hear the, your, your reaction. So I'm going
0: to share You're gonna, you. Yeah. Okay. You're going to be like, I'm so going to have a hard time listening to this. I just have such a hard time with this stuff. I saw the, I saw like a thumbnail of it. This cringe to the max. Yeah. What? we
1: before that, we started recording. You said you have a cringe. You the videos of the airline. Why is
0: that? Yeah, that too. Like I just I the, the the for the airlines like I I the airline video and stuff like that. Like it's just a sense of rage that I get. That's very hard for me to like. I don't know. It makes me. It really messes up my day. And I I you know I'm a father and I have to work and stuff. And it just it can take up a lot of emotional capital. Um, and to be honest with you, like it also happens with other things. Like even like the George Floyd video, like it took me a really long time to sit and watch that. Cause it takes so much emotional capital in my body. Like it really f- messes with me. I
1: mean, so. what you're describing is so, somewhat, something similar to um, what Tom Nahasi Coates has written about
0: mm-hmm. when
1: someone challenges his child and he feels like his black body's under attack, he really messes with his day for obvious reasons. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, I'm sort of saying that using very casual language, right. but like for me on a personal lens, when it, Part of what fuels my advocacy for Orthodox people and their safety and security and defending their lifestyle is very much fueled by the language used by civil rights leaders. Mm-hmm. So, but to be clear, this video is a like, medical drama from Canada. I'm going to, have to share the screen. And you'll see it's. Doctor and the Hasidic man who's the father with, with side curls and with a long black coat and a white shirt with a top button buttoned as if like giving it an air of authenticity <laughs> yeah. and a son in the hospital bed with side curls that are right. mad awkward. Yeah. You ready?
0: Yeah, go ahead. I'll 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 try to get through this. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, the where does it come from? It's called an aloe bone graft. It's harvested from a deceased donor. You want to put a dead leg inside of me? A dead goyim leg. From anyone. An Arab? A woman? Or God forbid an Arab woman. Look, you can't be lugging this metal cage
1: around. No, I don't consent.
0: Ezreal, without this next step, you will never walk properly again. Which means forget about basketball. Which is obviously what he wants. God who heals what he creates. I can't stand this. I can't stand it at all. Like it's it's so ignorant and stupid. Like, first of all, the idea that like Orthodox Jews are comparable to like pray the pray the sickness away kind of people, like that is so backwards and out of touch like that is the furthest from the truth like li- literally like rabbis like the big big rabbi godoylan like the huge guys like they were medical people like they knew a lot about medicine like entire track dates are written on like medical procedure what you're supposed to do like ha- re- there are so many stories like You know, of rabbis helping doctors do certain procedures—it's ridiculous. Like medicine, none of these things are like verboten in Judaism. Like they're very much considered. Like you have to do whatever it is. You could break Shabbos if it means like saving somebody's life. You could take like you could even take like medicine that you're not sure about the kashrus of it. Like if it means getting better, and like it's it's just so ignorant and disrespectful. And the idea that it's like. Oh, an Arab leg. It's like, dude, have you been to like Shari Tzedek? Like, are you aware that Israel like treats tons of people and their blood transfusions all the time? And like, that does not matter. Like, it's just so stupid. I can't stand it. Oh my God.
1: A quick historical note. So Maimonides, who was sort of invented a sort of a codified Jewish law, was a medical doctor. Right. And like... He created this idea of a codified Jewish law post a redacted Talmud, which is sort of a, just sort of a collection of voices that were a distillation of the voices you would hear in a study hall. Yes, and also I think on a basic level, what we're seeing in this video is a dehumanization. What we're seeing really is that these are not really human beings, A human being would want to save their leg and be healthy. Clearly this person is so radical, they're so inhuman, that there's no way this person would like give up their radical ideology to save their, a piece of their body. More it's than that. Like,
0: it's not like they're settlers. They're just like Montreal. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: though, I'll I'm say those Montreal Hasidim are my cousins.
0: Yeah. No, I'm saying like they're more ra- they're more reasonable than settlers. That's all. That's all I'm trying to
1: say. Yes, about. indeed. <laughs> I'm joking. Also, like, I've never met a Hasidim in Israel.
0: Yeah, I know. Point. I know. That's the thing that really gets me, too. Like, it's... Uh, whatever. <laughs> it's so on the nose. It's so on the nose. It drives me nuts. And, like, you you kind of see the same thing happen. You know, Remember that SNL joke? Yes. Like, yeah. So, like, it's kind of the That's same. That's
1: different, like, though. That's different because... It is, the truth it is, is there is a reality. Yeah. The joke is, like, Michael Che on yeah. the weekend update said that Israel vaccinated half their population, and his joke was switch out which is true it's true i i i think going after israel is correct i think i think israel did bungle that i think it's a very different than really
0: i was i was under the impression that they pretty much were like vaccinating whoever that like came it wasn't like it was too specific but whatever
1: nope israel at first set aside 500 vaccinations for Palestinians. 500
0: palestinians or jewish or israeli arabs
1: Either way, five hundred is not.
0: no. It's not either way. There's a huge difference. There's there. a
1: huge difference, of course. But five hundred is still a drop in the bucket.
0: But why is it Israel's responsibility? Whatever we can, we'll we'll sidestep that right now. I don't want to. I don't want to derail everything. But like, whatever. It's a totally different. If they, if it's a zone, if it's not their, if they don't want it, or if they want to have their own thing and they're not a part of the state and they're this and that, like, then it's not their responsibility. I just don't see why. I, I whatever. I'm radical on this. Anyway, go ahead.
1: I think you're missing the point.
0: I think you're missing the point. We both listen. listen I could derail this. Like we could talk about this. I don't care. But like, but, I'm, but it's,
1: going it's back to the clips, look, go, back, yeah, go, go, back, go back, to the, the nurse's clip.
0: Yeah,
1: We're, which is, it's a Canadian drama on NBC. Now, I think that we see this a lot, where a human being wants to save themselves. So a human being is wired to survive at all costs so this goes both for life and for limb, literally and clearly the show's writers and creators felt that like it makes sense that like these crazy radical group would never want to save their body
0: right
1: and it's prime time so meaning that it's really for the lowest common denominator of a a viewer yeah and the not only the writers but the director and the, the 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 executives all gave it this, the green light because they said that clearly this is plausible for the American public. Clearly they had the notion that Hassid would cut off his foot because he's so, he's so sexist and Islamophobic it is plausible for a viewer. So it shows that like they see these, this group of Hasidim as so inhumane, so non like person that that's a plausible narrative.
0: Yeah. Which shows,
1: it, it, so I'm saying this goes beyond the Blasio, you know, it goes beyond the <laughs> yeah, This goes, Yeah. No, it speaks to- True. Speaks No, to you're America. right, you're right, you're right. And this honestly, the same people who would watch that on the thing, it was released a few days before the Frontier of Life. If I see that, and then a few days later, I'm seeing Chassidim see getting, getting on my plane, I'm like, oh, holy shit, it's those people. Yeah. And look, I'm saying this as someone who is caught between both worlds, where I understand sort of progressive ideals that which which I so, sort of subscribe to, and I speak the language of these people, and I'm always coming to the defense of my brothers and sisters back in Brooklyn who are constantly under attack. Look, yeah. I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I am Ellie Ryder, I speak for the Hasidim. Because if no one else does, I because if, if no one else does, I have to.
0: Right. Yeah, I hear you. I um. I mean, it is true to see that like through line. I, I definitely can't argue with that. It seems like it's uh, definitely connected. Um, and it it is just such a shame to see like this. It's such a stupid, boring like one dimensional character. But then again, like it's a nurse drama, so on on like NBC. So like, you know, irrelevant. It? And it's not that it's irrelevant. I, that's not my thing. I was just saying like I don't expect the writers to have any talent on that like s- s- team. or whatever.
1: That's an easy way out because again it's not moving oh, writers. I, I
0: I mean it I mean it with pre- I mean it with extreme prejudice. I'm not trying to give them an easy way out, I'm trying to insult them. So it's not, okay, so not a matter.
1: as someone who as someone who worked on TV and movie sets, I'll say that there are between that scene and our eyes watching it, there yeah. are, are like true eighty or hundred overpaid eyes to look at it, to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if there was even a whiff of Racism to another minority group—that would have been next before you can say anything.
0: Right. And yeah, here you missed that. Yeah.
1: I mean, look, I wrote an op-ed for the New York Daily News a couple of years ago about like my experiences in various non-Jewish spaces, and like I remember being in a bar in Bushwick, which is like this hipster part of Brooklyn, where someone's like, "Hey, you went Hey, i was like at the bar waiting to order a beer, and someone tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to develop this film.
0: Hmm.
1: Because he thought I worked for B and H. Yeah, it was a dumb thing, but it was telling of like how Hasidim are portrayed. You either work for B and (laughs) H, or you're smelly and you have coronavirus, or you would cut your foot off. Or like
0: when when the reality is a lot more beautiful and a lot more rich than that. Like I, and that's the sad thing about like. See, cause here's the saddest thing for me. The saddest thing for me is that people might think that about Hasidim who are actually like extremely deep, extremely rich and warm and kind and thoughtful and unique and special and interesting. And they'll think those are what like religious Jews are like. They're just smelly and they're not and like whatever, when really, in fact, they're, they're, they're much more interesting and rich. Um, and then on the flip side, you have the secular Jews who act as if they're the rich and warm and kind ones when really they're extremely shallow and are almost indistinguishable from any other progressive elite you know corporate just regular secular person like there's there's nothing deep or interesting or special about them in any way that's meaningfully jewish is what i'm trying to say they're still human beings and stuff like that but there's nothing uniquely meaningfully spiritually it, like interesting in any way that's, that's uniquely Jewish. Whereas like, so you're losing out on the uniquely beautiful, rich, warm Jewishness of Hasidim who are authentically richly, warmly Jewish and you're trading it in for, and then you have this idea that like these shallow people are the ones who are really the rich, deep, interesting Jews, which they're not.
1: I want to be very careful if it's not overgeneralized, the rich American Jewish community. There are many aspects our people. I will also say that having oh, I'm I'm curious because I feel like we both have different sort of our, our narratives have sort of interchanged slightly.
0: Hold on, where like I got I got to check on something. Hold on, sorry, you were saying something.
1: I think both of our, our lives have sort of taken opposite trajectories.
0: Where I grew up, really, yes,
1: yeah. Where I think, I grew really religious, and then, like, I just sort of what, what decided to, to, to like incorporate more secular information and knowledge in a more formalized fashion. I went to college, et cetera. Whereas you sort of started out more in the American Jewish world and then entered a more Hasidic, a more Hasidic world. And we, I think, we both carry these two identities with us at all times.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I definitely uh, was more modern, I guess. I'm not really sure how you were raised, but, like, I was definitely raised, like, more modern, um, but still, like, religious, but just, like, in a very, like, much more modern sense. Um, and then, yeah, later what, down the road... What does modern
1: think, mean to you? What's modern,
0: what's um, modern Like, you know, we had... T- like, I had a TV in my room, like, with, like, cable, you know? Um, and, like, I would... Uh, i would um i had like computers like computer and internet access since i was like since i was like 10 or 11. were your parents
1: um, orthodox or what were your
0: parents yeah 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 we were orthodox we were orthodox but but also my parents like didn't become like religious and religious until i was like eight years old so we were always kind of like behind the ball a little bit like they didn't really they were learning a lot like on the fly um and then we were like super 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 religious for like a good stint and then we were like much more modern and like very like you know like always kept Shabbos always kept kosher but um and I always went to yeshiva um but I didn't even know like about Hasidim really until I was like until I came to New York I thought like to me it was like Chabad is the only Hasidim that I knew about really until I would like came to New York and was like oh my god there's like an enormous like Ocean of, of different types of Hasidim that I never even knew about.
1: Can I ask you because when I, when we met at your Crown Heights apartment, were you yeah. observant them, or were you that was? No, no, no,
0: no, okay, no, no. So- when I that was when I was completely secular, completely secular. Because
1: when I um, met you, you were like, like okay, go ahead, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, that was that was my like that was like my totally secular um, like phase, um, where I was like where I wasn't doing anything. I. Here's the difference though, you see, for me, like I was totally secular, but I didn't harbor any resentment for, for religious Judaism. Um, and, and, I, and I would never try to come in and say like, oh, I know what real Judaism is. Like, no, like that's not my place. Like I made a conscious decision where I was like, I'm not gonna be religious right now. And I, and maybe, or maybe, and by the way, like this had happened like before, like in high school, I wasn't religious in any way. Um, and I did have resentment then. <laughs> Um, but then I went to yeshiva and I became religious and then I came home and then I like slowly ebbed away from it. And then I went hardcore, like not religious at all. And then after like five years of doing that, I was like, well, that was kind of dumb and like a waste of time and not meaningful and not interesting. Um, or at least, or at least it had the, the amount of the interestingness of it had limits that a religious lifestyle I had not yet reached. So I reached the limits of, of secular interestingness very fast. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Secular lifestyle, really boring at a certain point. I mean, um, at a certain
1: point, only, like, to, to put it a very crass way, there's only so much sex you can have before you get bored. That's about.
0: exactly right, by the way. Like there was that, and also like how much you can, there's only so much hedonism you can have, I guess.
1: Like, I'll say that as someone who was shamanic when I went to Burning Man,
0: Yeah.
1: Nothing made me go to the other side than going to a place like Burning Man. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, I saw how empty it was, and, like, I think that, like, I I don't want to be so much people who really find meaning in that week of celebrating. But, like, for some people, they live for that week. Yeah. And, yeah. So, uh, for me, like, I grew up really religious, but I've never left observance, but I've always ventured out into crazy places. Mm -hmm. And, the more I went out, the more defensive I felt because mm-hmm. I felt very vulnerable. I mean, there are people who are or were ostensibly progressive and like theoretically open to all cultures. but that only is very facile. It's a very superficial approach to life because when you challenge them or when they're faced with real difference or real like adversity, you see their true colors. And I'm not saying that in an angry way, but like I, I've had some really weird experiences. Like, it's a very famous comedian who I saw performing who talked about how he was bragging about how a Chabad emissary teenager stopped him on the street to ask him if he's Jewish to offer him, like, to mm-hmm. offer to wrap him to fill in or give him matzah before Passover. And the guy grabbed the young teenager's black hat off his head and threw it into the street and then laughed. Mirthfully
0: on yeah. stage,
1: and like it's like a low key hate crime, but you're bragging about it in New York.
0: Yeah,
1: and I'm like, everyone's laughing. I'm like, how do you? Am I the only person who's not seeing this? Like, yeah, there was another time it, when I was in this bookstore in Borough Hill, where someone asked a question to one like, of like the like. was a Q and A after after a reading, where someone talks about those Jews who don't sell their homes and cause housing prices to go up,
0: right. and I'm
1: like i was looking around like there's a scene from bob dylan's song of a thin man it's like tom Thumb's blues when it's like you walk into a room and there's a naked guy with a gun in his hand and you're like am i the only guy seeing this <laughs> and like it's sort of like it's sort of like the, when i first heard the term being woke i knew what it meant completely because i knew what it meant because like, I've been witness to very anti-Semitic comments in public, and without anyone batting an eyelash. Yeah, and that's sort of what I've experienced a lot. And I mean, I wonder, like, with you with your new identity, or at least external new identity, do you, yeah. do you now see what you saw growing up? Like, I mean, do you notice the anti-Semitic bias in your communities growing up?
0: Not really, because, like I said, I didn't notice. Like, I didn't notice. Um, I didn't really know how many like chassidists there was. So to me, like the only real form of chassidists that I knew was like if like Chabad and I was like, oh, okay, like Chabad seems pretty nice. And I and I and I saw like a little bit of like of of people that would look at them kind of strangely. But honestly, like growing up, like I never really felt a level. I never really felt anti-Semitism in any way. In fact, like I I didn't really experience anti-Semitism in any meaningful way until I went to Europe. And when i went to europe i was like oh dude like americans actually don't know what anti-semitism is like like because europe it's like ingrained in like the stone it's like they invented it what they invented anti-semitism yeah yeah but like i'm saying it's just very deeply ingrained in the culture to a place that like americans just they can't possibly understand it like like it's just not it's not the same in any in any way um uh so i didn't really notice it so much growing up honestly like i i really didn't and um and um but like
1: in your schools growing up they were more modern like did they was there any rhetoric or subtext of anthony no oh, Fox, interesting i guess it's LA.
0: No. yeah and also like i went to yeshiva like I guess, I guess because they went to like Litvish yeshiva, they kind of like there were some misnagdim, you know, who like were kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, like they would be kind of like, oh, Hasidim like, oh, blah, you know. But there was, but it was all like kind of like jocular. It wasn't like it wasn't like um, mean spirited in any way, you know. Like I, I never really met anybody that was like, oh, you can't date her because she's a chabad girl. Like that never like happened. In fact, so it funny. Was, In fact, it was quite the opposite. If we're being honest. <laughs> Is that the prize? Uh, I mean, the Chabad girls were always the better looking ones. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, out of town, you know, like that's just uh, it's all good. And
1: the way I think the interesting thing is that you're saying that in LA.
0: Yeah.
1: We're like, the, yeah. like the, the the core like the epitome of like hedonism and like superficiality.
0: Oh, that existed too, though. I mean, L.A. girls are like the ultimate Japs. Like, New York girls are not even close to, like, as as Jewish-American princesses as, as L.A. girls. They're not even close. Like, it's it's just not even a not even comparison. So, so yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. Like, I guess. It's, like, I, it's funny. I, 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 can, I forgot about this post. I'm like, I'll never forget about this post I saw on Facebook a couple of years ago, 2018. Yeah. Where Anonymous Hasid posted how, like, he takes the train every day. And he, he has one request. He wants someone to squish him. Because every day he gets on the train, this is pre-COVID. Uh-huh. People oh, don't, this, is, this
0: is pre-COVID. Wow. This
1: is pre-COVID. Yeah. I'm going to read a part of it. It said, how, how odd it must be to complain about having a double seat. Instead of being crammed butt to butt, I get breathing some breathing space. Who wouldn't want that? I, yeah. for one, don't. Not when it happens almost every day. Why does, why, why does it take a no other option situation, situation to sit next to me? Am I a leopard? Do I smell? I showered this morning with shampoo. I wear a clean shirt. I don't look menacing. So why wouldn't you grease me with a rub of your fat butt against mine and breathe into my nostril? And like, this show sort of speaks to a human experience of wanting, wanting to be seen as human and not wanting to be othered. And the same chassid who no one sits next to on the subway is the same chassid who people want off their Frontier Airlines flight
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's it's um it's a strange thing in New York like I I don't know I, I don't understand it and and also like doubly or triply like there's this there's this feeling that um people get with Hasidim especially where they're like oh like you know they don't even belong here like you know I'm real New York and stuff like that it's like Dude, some of these citizens have been here for legit over a hundred years. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, they've they've literally like lived here for since like the 1900s, like l- or like the f- first 1900s. Like, some of these people, um, and 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 like a lot of like a lot of the other people who have moved here in the last like what like 40 years. Like, like it's New York City, bro. Like, people move in and out of here all the time. It's not, you know. Nobody has a claim to this place because unfortunately, very few people stay here that long. But even the ones who do stay here for a very long time, most of them can't even put a candle up to how long Hasidim have been here, really. So no, it's,
1: speaking, I think you're speaking to a, like another issue is that people talk about these Hasidic slumlords. And it's not like they're slumlords. I mean, in short, case, I'll be honest, there are Hasidic slumlords. I don't want to deny that. I and mean, they are causing real harm to minority communities. But there, there are what we're seeing now is people who have lived here for generations, and there might be generational wealth, or there might be accumulated wealth over generations. They give yeah. individuals the ability to buy property and become yes. landlords. Yeah. And like, look, these are, they, they all, they inter- I think the interesting thing is that like, these are people who would not say Jewish landlord, but they would say Hasidic landlord.
0: That, that's still <laughs> right. They would say Jewish accountant, but they would say Hasidic landlord. You know. And
1: like, these are same people who like, would be upset or at least Express outrage over Donald Trump saying something that might be antisemitic, but they yeah. can complain about their Hasidic land
0: that. Yeah, even though Donald Trump has like Jewish grandchildren, but sure, he's Hitler, whatever. Like such a joke. So Look,
1: the joke is that Donald Trump has Jewish grandchildren, but Bernie Sanders does not. <laughs>
0: That's so good. That is great for sure. Um, yeah, so I I I um I think like what you're saying there too though like as another lesson that could be learned where it's like how did the Jews end up owning so many like so many like how did they become so many landlords it's like dude it didn't happen like overnight it wasn't like magical it's like they stayed in the same place and they did the same thing which most of the time was not pretty and was not glamorous for a long time, and, and they stuck together and they helped each other out until the point where, like, they were taken care of enough where they could out extend themselves by, like, purchasing, you know, uh, land and like units and stuff like that. It doesn't happen right away, but like, if but you can do it. Like, right wing Nazi folk, you can do that. Left wing mutual aid communists, you can do that. Just stay in the same place, help each other out do your thing. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be glamorous. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be fun, but eventually like you'll be able to do it and you can do it anywhere. And it's, and Jews have like perfected the system of doing that. Hasidim especially. And it all starts with like, they just take care of each other. Dude, when we had this baby, I have not cooked a meal, one meal for two weeks now. Get back to me when, when anybody else can do that. When anybody else can say that they have that, get back to me.
1: Somewhere in the back of the room your wife is rolling her eyes because she, she would claim you've never cooked a meal.
0: That's, by the way, you have no idea that the politics of my kitchen, I cook amazing here. But like, yeah. But no, my, my wife would honestly be like resoundingly, yeah. Like my wife loves that we have so many people helping us out and like, and like taking care of things. Dude, when we had this baby, our neighbors from our old place where we used to live, they took the other three kids they took the other three kids for a week. They're not my parents. They're not my family members. They're our old neighbors who we were close, we were good friends with. They called us and immediately took, and they wanted to keep the kids for two weeks, but we wanted them back. So they were like, okay, fine, but we don't recommend it. We'd recommend that they stay with us for two weeks. Get back to me. Get back to me when you have a community that is willing to do something like that for you. That is not just willing to do, but like excited to do something like that for you. Get back to me because I guarantee you, if you're able to have that, if you, if you have a community that can do that, you don't need to worry about the government giving you like anything, anything. Everything will be taken care of if you have a community that'll do that. I hear that.
1: I think a couple of things. First of all, I think that you're right. And to sort of paint this community or these communities and look towards them as lessons is not taking care of the issues, which is that there are real issues of bias and
0: discrimination.
1: Yeah. And I think painting these communities as like the thing to be is skirting the issue at hand. I think it's also funny because what you're talking about speaks to another issue I have about the Netflix miniseries on Orthodox, mm-hmm. where in the show, essentially Estee, the main character, flees her like restrictive from Orthodox community in Williamsburg and runs away to Germany. And they she meets all these German non-Jews who just welcome her into their community, and she has like what I like to call like redemptive, liberating sex, <laughs> and that welcomes in that like that's her initiation, and then suddenly she's at home and at peace with the wider world. In fact, that's so far from the truth. That's when you first I leave, when you, when you first leave, when you, when you first leave, people smell it. And they take it, take advantage, and there, are, and the, no one has your best interest at heart. And no, you realize that no one's looking out for you. It's a cold, hard world out there, and there's no one, and like, there's no one who will take your kids for you. There's no one who looking out for your well-being, and like, not only is it a cold, hard world, but people are trying to hurt you, and. I think yes, people can be unhappy with their communities and I'm, I'm a favor of people living according to their lifestyles of their mm-hmm. choosing. And I, I'll never stop saying that. But I think there's a harmful narrative that says this area, this community is, is restrictive. Is there it, is it people who, do, who would rather die than take a leg out of an yeah, or know. a woman?
0: Sure and,
1: the and therefore like, no one says next to them on subways, people ask to have them removed from planes. I had, a, I had a thought, I had an experience actually when I flew recently, when there was a family of hijab wearing Muslims and one of the men was not wearing a mask. And I didn't say anything. They imagined about the optics of a guy with a right. complaining right. to a flight attendant about the, the Muslim not wearing a mask. Yeah. Uh, and they kept them at my, my in my mouth shut.
0: Interesting how that cuts uh, that way, but it wouldn't happen the other way, but whatever.
1: That's not. That that's not true. I don't agree with that. I mean, but my actually, you no. Know, that... You know what?
0: You're right. Actually, I think it would actually still be just as awkward. Actually, if it went the other way, I think you're actually right. And in this case, I'll grant you this one.
1: Yeah. My point is that I'm always very self-conscious because I feel like a guest in their world, mm. and which I think is sort of sort of the Jewish experience in diaspora, where no matter mm-hmm. how successful you might be your success is held at a very tenuous grasp. And it's a very scary thing. And I think that's a timeless thing. And you, and like, I mean, that's the yellow star law or principle. That no matter how similar you are, no matter if you're Otto Frank in Amsterdam, you will always have a yellow star stamped onto your arm. And there are different ways to respond. You can try to assimilate farther. You can try to cling closer to your Jewish roots. And that, that's the way you fight back. But like that's sort of my, I mean, I think my life experience has shown me the only way I can like fight back against the oppression is to wear my out with more pride. And mm-hmm. I say that someone who's had my keep knocked off my head in both in Chicago and Poland.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I do my best not to feel like I'm a, I know exactly what you mean about being a guest in their world. I totally get that. And to be honest, like there are occasions where I legit am. Like there are occasions where I am actually a guest in their world. It is that way. Like, um, and that's and that. And by the way, I, I try to go into that with the utmost of respect. Where I'm like, listen, man. Like you know, like this isn't really, like you know, your scene. It's not really for. It's not. It's not for you, bro. Like I get that, and I have a lot of respect, and I don't try. I don't try to like whatever. Like I said, when when like if I when I was in university and stuff, like I didn't expect the whole university to change because of me. You know what I mean? But like um, but I, I do kind of wish that there was that 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 went the other way, not even with the non-Jews, by the way, but with the secular Jews who have no religious practice. It like where it's like, hey, man, like you, you should try to get to know me. You should try to get to know like these other people under their terms, not under your terms, where it's like where it's like, oh, like I don't go there because they're like fundamentalist insane people. It's like have like what like just why just because they have separate men and women during prayer like to be honest you might actually like that like if we're if we're talking about like men or men and women or women and like you know you might actually like that because like that would put you guys with your own you know i don't know but like just give it a try stop stop like trying to act like you're the one dictating this it's very annoying that's very true I, i mean and i feel like you lose more when you try to like you're saying where it's like where it's like where your are it out where your yarmulke of like louder and prouder because like when you try to hide it then they they know and they and they let you feel it whereas like if you go out there and just like yourself the most but you're like then they they respect it more like they 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 look at the, the the other nations will just look at you with more respect
1: for sure I think if you if you hide your identity you and especially if you hide your Jewish identity it gives license. To the haters and real right. anti-Semites to like attack you and send you further underground. And I think also I think you're raising a really good point that don't see other Jewish groups on your terms. See mm-hmm. how they operate in their home base and take care of them at face value and see what they're like, and then then you can come to their your conclusion.
0: Yeah, to that, don't
1: assume to- that they have strong beliefs. You don't ask them. And for instance, this is a good example. Like I have a friends. Who run very successful chabad houses with like traditional partitions between between men and women? Who have trans members who sit on the side of the partition that they identify as? Mm-hmm. They're not calling the papers saying, oh, "Look how progressive I am." They're having, right. they they're offering their congregants basic human dignity, right? And no one's getting any progressive cookies out of that, <laughs> or progressive herrings out of that. But the the point. The point is that like these are people who you sort of written up as like sexist and bigoted and retrograde when in fact it's way more complicated well uh,
0: to that to that point by the way like when i was teaching in a conservative uh temple i tried to do that where like now granted like at that time i was i was also secular but again like i had been raised orthodox but when i was in this in the conservative um temple i was like listen, I'm just going to go in there with an open mind and kind of see how they do things and just take it all in, you know? Like, I kind of reserve my own judgments where I look at it and I'm kind of like, wow, like, it's it's crazy how these people really miss the point of kiddish. Like, they don't understand how to have, like, they just don't know how to make cholin. I just don't understand. I get so sad, you know? But like To be clear, to
1: be clear, Judaism is not only about food, but I hear you. You're speaking <laughs> to a basic rank aspect right. of Judaism. that is very important
0: right right but like but like um you know i like i just keep that to myself i'm not gonna come in and be like oh you guys don't know how to make it like i don't know but like i i went into that and i was like yeah like feels a little bit weird to me that like there's that everyone's praying next to each other and the women are wearing taluses. not gonna lie like i discovered some uh uh fetishes I wasn't aware of at the time but like I was very much like oh okay but I was like okay like that's what they're gonna do I'm not gonna come in there and like be preachy about it like that's what they want to do like I've I, I wish that like people would have that same sort of openness to like try to engage with this culture that is their brothers and sisters with and instead of just passing judgment on them on editorials in the New York Times for God's sakes like without having any meaningful connection to them in any way
1: First of all, David, if you're upset about what I wrote in your time, just tell me to my face. There's no reason <laughs> to say passive-aggressive no, things.
0: No, I, I've actually, I like everything you write, mostly. Um,
1: I'm kidding. No, it's true because, like, same, like, I am very cognizant. and I spent my life going to other communities to see what they're like. Because I, before I pass judgment, I want to hear their side. And yeah. the same way when people, in more orthodox cases, rag on more progressive Jews, I defend those Jews because I am the translator, and I'm able to speak for their experience using the, the listener's framework. I defend Orthodox Jews from more progressive Jews. I have friends who think that all Orthodox Jews are bigoted and homophobic. And I've had numerous conversations with one fellow in particular in Illinois, who I'm still ongoing. And it's like, you've never really met someone before. right? And it's funny because I gave him the, the, the actual the parables the where, where if he sees a, a child of color walk into a store and steal a chocolate bar he will have one reaction. Nice. But if he sees a young boy with side curls walking into a store and steal he'll have a whole different reaction.
0: Yeah. Totally. and he,
1: he, he doesn't understand the intellectual dishonesty of that. That's a whole different can of worms.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And any final thoughts? Is there any way to sum, sum this up in an appropriate way? What was that? Is there any way to sum this up in an appropriate way? I feel like we should,
0: um, we can talk about this well, forever. us like, like, you know, everybody, and that's just something, I'll tell you one thing right now. Like I, I, I love every single Jew and I, and I promise you it's not because I'm, I have a big heart. It's just because that's what God told me to do. And it's really, really, really hard and I have a really hard time doing it it's by no means is it like the top of my uh, list of character traits that I need to work on um, but it is extremely important to me and I do my best to um, to, to have a lot of like avas us israel and love love for my fellow jews because the truth is that like at the end of the day it doesn't really matter if you're practicing or you're conservative or you're reform or you're this or that if you're secular it doesn't matter like we all got gas the same. We all, you know, we're burned the same. And the truth is that at the end of the day, like no one's going to have our backs if we don't have each other's back. So even though a lot of secular lefty Jews will drive me absolutely up a wall because they're so insolent and disrespectful to their founding heritage, I do my best to, uh, to give them a smile and a good Shabbos and maybe invite them over for Kiddush and invite them for Shabbos and to take care of them. I'll give them I will give any Jew like the shirt off my back if that's what they need, and I have to have that. I have to have that because if I don't have that in my being, then it's all—it's all, it's all going to fall apart. To be clear,
1: they don't trust your level of kosher. Uh, Those progressive Jews.
0: Yeah,
1: I would say that like I yes, and my love of my fellow Jews stems from two parts: the very idealistic prosaic love of my fellow Jew and feeling a very strong kinship. But undergirding that, part of that is a very pragmatic perspective that stems from the basic reality that there are not enough of us Mm -hmm. to create division. There are 7 billion people on this planet.
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: (laughs) There are only 14 million of us. Right. Which is like... It's, a, it's an astronomical number 14 million mm-hmm. and yet we spend so much of our lives talking about the other kinds of Jews we disagree with and there are so many better ways we can spend our time helping each other than, than tearing down for the bonds. and I just want to leave with a blessing that the same way we so sort of care for our little ones that we hold our hands and we care for the next generation we you care for our brothers and sisters who are right in front of us, who we might not be related to exactly biologically on a surface level, but if you dig two or three layers down, you're fairly closely related.
0: Mm-hmm.